athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. I think very deeply. In about four seconds, a teacher will begin to speak. I think very deeply. This is the dopest show on radio. I am your host, Donald Ware. Got a lot to get to on today's programs. Headlines all over the place, particularly in the National Football League. Odell Beckham Jr. signs with the Los Angeles Rams. Cam Newton, I guess you can return home. I guess you can return home as Cam Newton comes back to the Carolina Panthers. So we're going to get into both uh, of those items and topics today on the program, plus plenty of NBA talk today here on Box to Row. We're going to set the table for you a little bit later on, but we want to jump right in to things. First of all, I mean, how in the world, and this is the thing about the National Football League, of course, I'm going to have my predictions for Week 10 a little bit later on, but when you look at the National Football League, like there's no clear-cut favorite, right? Yes, the Rams are going to add OBJ. I mean, I don't think it's, I mean, it's still up in the air, right, in terms of a clear-cut favorite in the National Football League. Do we now look at the Titans as the favorite? Now, obviously not clear-cut, but having defeated the Rams in the manner in which the Titans defeated the Rams, do we look at the Titans now? I mean, I look at the Ravens, right? Like, what is going on? The Ravens are extremely inconsistent. You look at the victory, the come-from-behind victory, over the Vikings, and by the way, as I think the Ravens right now are living on reputation from a defensive perspective. I mean, I come on this program almost every week and say, yeah, you know, Lamar Jackson's a super exciting player. He can get some things done. He's got some weapons. The running game much better than people thought it was going to be, especially with all of the injuries at running back. But if it's one thing that can hold the Ravens down is the Ravens defense. Well, that's not necessarily the case. I I mean, listen, I I don't know that you can look and say the Ravens defense was the problem in the loss to the Thursday night loss to Miami. Like if you're the Ravens, you cannot afford to lose to the Miami Dolphins who have underwhelmed and have had a really a bad season, especially compared to, to expectations coming in. This was a team that went 10-6 and six last year, even though it didn't make the playoffs. It was a 10-6 and six team last year, and you expected a lot more from the Miami Dolphins. And if you're the Ravens and you want to be one of the better teams 
in the National Football League. I mean, I think at one time, because it's been topsy-turvy in terms of who's the best team in the league, there you can't really say that there's any team definitively that is the best team. But at one point this season, the Ravens were right there in the conversation. Uh, but you even you look at the the, the Vikings game. Give the Vi- I mean, I'm going to give the Vikings credit. Like the Vikings have a good offense. It is a solid offense. Okay, but the Ravens defense just didn't look good. But again, ultimately comes back, and it's the offense that propels that Ravens team. The same offense four days later, and maybe because it was four days later. I I, I don't know. I, I can't remember. I'm trying to think. Yeah, Miami played last played on Sunday too, right? Miami found a way to produce enough enough offense to win the football game, and so there's no clear cut favorite in the National Football League. And boy, the Ravens, yeah, what what is going on? Like you can't lose to the Dolphins uh, anyway, and then certainly. Uh, in that manner. So, of course, we're going to talk plenty of National Football League, and I've got my thoughts uh, on uh, the Week 11 predictions. So, let's talk about OBJ. Let's talk about OBJ coming to the Rams and what this ultimately means with Cup and Woods and all of the weapons at the disposal of Matthew Stafford. So, Talk about the rich getting richer, right? The the Rams are all in. You go back to last week or a couple of weeks ago, I guess now, um, uh, the trade for Von Miller to beef up the defense. I think when you looked at the Rams, already pretty solid uh, defensively, at least uh, from a player, when you look at the players that the Rams have, I, I mean... You know, I, I mean, you get Von Miller, right? Like, Von Miller's been hurt more lately. And, by the way, the Broncos wasted the latter part, have, have wasted the latter part of Von Miller's career because the Broncos could not find a quarterback. All the Broncos had to do, if the Broncos had found a quarterback, right, even after the Super Bowl with Peyton Manning, heck, you could have brought Peyton Manning back. Uh, but even if they had found some semblance of a quarterback immediately after you had all of those weapons on offense, specifically at the wide receiver position and that defense led by Von Miller was outstanding. The Broncos wasted the last years after the Super Bowl of Von Miller trade him. I mean, you know, he's going to have some value. How effective is he going to be? We'll see, but I mean, ultimately, (laughs) the Rams' defense is pretty solid anyway. But from an offensive perspective, now you add OBJ to that mix. And I do still think that OBJ has something left in the tank. I think that it's something left in the tank. I don't think it's what we knew OBJ as. And listen, it, it, it was... It was it was just a bad situation in Cleveland. I don't think you can blame the quarterback in Baker Mayfield ultimately in this situation. 
everybody has blame, I think. And quite frankly, OBJ has sort of been difficult to deal with. You go back to his days with the Giants. He's been, he's been, I mean, he's a talent. He's very talented. He's still young. I mean, you know, I, I, I mean, we can say he's not the old, the same OBJ from the Giants. And right now he's not, but that doesn't mean he can't get back to some semblance of that OBJ. He's extremely talented. And I think in the right system, he ultimately uh, can flourish. I think right now he just needs to get his career back on track. Yeah, he's going to be the third or fourth option in this offense, but that's okay. It's nothing wrong with that. I think it just gives Matthew Stafford another weapon to work with. And I think the Rams going to be very formidable. Still not the clear-cut favorite because we don't have a clear-cut favorite in the National Football League. Okay, I mean, that's a big story. I think, to me, for me, to me, and maybe because we're here in the Carolinas, as big a story, I shouldn't say a bigger story, but as big a story, when I heard this, you know, you're waiting for to see where Odell Beckham Jr. is going to sign, who he's going to sign with. Is it going to be Green Bay? Is it going to be the Kansas City Chiefs? I mean, I thought, you know, maybe for me, even the Ravens, I thought may may have been, you know, a solid destination, right? But when I saw, and in, in, in the Cam Newton thing happened before OBJ, so when I saw that, I mean, I was like, wow, that is Huge news. I mean, I, again, as I mentioned, I guess you can come back home. I think I don't like the way that the Carolina Panthers organization handled Cam Newton while he was still with the organization, and I mean last year in 2020, okay, from a number of different perspectives. It's fine. You bring in a new coach. You bring in Matt Rule. He has his own philosophy he has the type of quarterback that he wants. I think what has been a, what has been said and is appropriate is that Cam Newton is such a you know a, a dynamic and a big personality. And when you're a, a Matt Rule and you're coming from you know in essence college, you know you, you may not you may not want that. That may not be something that the Panthers, Matt Rule, et cetera, wanted uh, initially. Right. But I mean, you could have you, you should have known that from the jump. And the only reason that Cam Newton signed with the Patriots, because he didn't have any other choice. He didn't have any other offers. But that's because the Panthers released him so late. Like generally you release a guy early and then he has time to go find another another team while uh, there are still some openings. I, I you know, it's I, I can't remember if there were many. Oh, hey, were, there were some. There were definitely were some openings, uh, right? But you, but you, you know, it, it, all that was left for Newton was the Patriots, and I don't know. I mean, I, I, I didn't think Cam particularly looked good with the pa- uh, with the Patriots. I mean, I, I think he, as an individual, didn't look good. But I think the Patriots were ultimately getting something done, so the two needed to come back. Four and a half million dollars is the contract. Ten million dollars, if if Cam Newton can meet the incentives, and ultimately we'll see how this plays out. I mean, he is such a huge part, or was is 
such a huge part of the Charlotte community. Uh, Cam obviously had to swallow his pride. The Panthers had to swallow their pride. He's not going to play this week, but ultimately he will play for the Carolina Panthers, who, like most football teams in the National Football League, are still in some way in contention. Still to come here on Box to Row, Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, going to join us on the program to talk some NBA, my thoughts on Week 11 in HBCU football, and my NFL predictions on Box to Row Radio and on Sirius XM. The Greater Raleigh Sports Alliance invites event planners, athletes, and fans to jump back into all the sports opportunities that Greater Raleigh, North Carolina has to offer. From BMX racing to baseball, soccer to swimming, world-class venues for championship play at every level are right here, along with first-rate hotels and exciting off-field attractions and experiences. Learn more and plan your next play at raleighsports.org. Now, back to From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Let's get into some Week 11 talk. HBCU football here on Box to Row. We've got some really good matchups. You have two conference championship games uh, matchups in the SIAC and the CIAA. Miles and Albany State going to get together in the SIAC championship game for the third season in a row. Meanwhile, in the CIAA, also for the third season in a row, Fayetteville State and the matchup. Look, I'm I'm excited especially. I, I think... I think if you look at the SIAC game numbers-wise, like I'm excited about both of these games equally for this reason. I think if you look at the SIAC championship game and if you look at the numbers and you look at the way that the two teams played, meaning Albany State and Miles, this should be definitely a game that Albany State wins. Like this should be a game that Albany State is favored in. Albany Albany State's defense is, is absolutely tremendous. Albany State is getting enough done on off, on, on offense. Banu has been very, very solid uh, at quarterback. If I look at Miles, I mean, Miles is hot right now, right? Like, uh, won four straight football games, won some meaningful football games, played some tough games early. Albany State, I mean, excuse me, Alabama State, Southern, and lost to Albany State early in the year 31-3. to All that aside, right? Like the Golden Rams should be, you give the Golden Rams the trophy now. Don't even need to play the game. What you got to remember, the last two years, very similar scenarios where Miles had some tough games early, lost to Albany State, Pretty, uh, if I remember correctly, certainly this year wasn't close. It was 31-3. to Last couple of years, at least one of those years, 
game may not have been close also. And what does Miles do? Ultimately wins the championship game over Albany State. I do think this year the scenario may change uh, a little bit and we can talk a little bit more about that. But I'm telling you, like I'm when I look at this CIAA matchup and I look at Bowie State and I look at Fayetteville State, we you can look at the numbers across the board, right? And the numbers are pretty much similar when you're talking about these two football teams offensively, overall, defensively, overall, as a matter of fact, defensively, the two teams are one and two. Uh, offensively, I mean, Fayetteville State is, is better offensively. Bowie State it has not been as prolific offensively this year as it's been in years past and certainly as it was in 2019. I mean, you know, Jerome Johnson, when you look at the numbers, hasn't uh, played up to the numbers that he did in 2019. But remember, back in 2019, this was a young man that was a third-string quarterback, so he may be going through a little bit uh, of something. But but obviously, you know, Damon Wilson and his staff, his offensive staff is going to have Jerome uh, Jerome, uh, Johnson prepared. But not only that, Jerome Johnson is a veteran, right? Like he's been in this scenario. He's played in the CIAA championship game. He's played in the Division II playoffs. He's played in postseason. So you look at it from that perspective, I think, you know, Khalil Wilkins has done a really nice job of running the football this year also for Bowie State. So I think Bowie State's going to be okay on the offensive side of the football. The thing about it, like I like Bowie State's really, really good defensively, right? And you know, if I like, I looked at the conference, the conferences, uh, all the all CIAA team, right, which was released on Wednesday, and I looked at this team and Keyshawn James of Fayetteville State, um, who plays inside. He used to play outside on that defensive line. He now plays inside. He's got like ten and a half sacks, twenty one tackles for loss, something like that. Uh, you know, he's a 280-pound kid. He's getting some looks from the National Football League. Like, he was the conference's player of the year. And to me, I, I didn't think there was any doubt about that. Like, I thought he should have been the conference's player of the year. But when I look at that first team on the line, and it, it's nothing against any of these young men. I mean, Keyshawn James should have been on that list. Uh, Jonathan Ross of Bowie State, who is really, really good, also should have been on that list. You know, Javon Frazier, uh, you, you know, he's got a reputation, right? Like, he should have been on that list. But to me, Joshua Pryor not being on that list, he was on the second team list, that's got to be motivation, I think, a little bit more for Bowie State, right, from a defensive standpoint, and specifically Joshua Pryor. Like, this kid... I mean, Bowie State's got a lot of NFL scouts coming to watch, and they're watching a couple of kids. One of the main kids that they're watching is Joshua Pryor. If you've listened to this show, if you've followed Box to Row over the last three years, you know who Joshua Pryor is. He is a man-child. 
plays on the inside, much like Keyshawn James. Keyshawn James has done it more this year, but again, in years past, he's played some of the outside where Pryor has played inside, right? You're talking about a guy that'll have double-digit tackles or double-digit sacks in a season on the inside, like James did this year. Plenty of tackles uh, for loss. Scouts are coming to see him. He's got the size, 6'4", 280 pounds, has an opportunity, which is, which is, which is decent size, right? Like you're talking about National Football League size. I mean, you got to put a, on some more weight to play inside. Guys are – a lot of guys, even though you're seeing some guys that are a little bit more quick, I uh, may weigh a little bit less on the inside in the National Football League. He's got some some room to put some weight on. But all of that and the reputation and to not be a first-team guy, I think that's motivation uh, for Bowie State. I look at Bowie State's defense, very opportunistic, has taken away 11, uh, has gotten 11 interceptions on the season. They say third time is the charm, right? And if you go back really for Fayetteville State, this would be the fourth straight CIAA championship game that the Broncos have played in. And by the way, the Broncos right now in the regional, I think it's the South Regional, sit at number 10. So a loss by Fayetteville State, no doubt Fayetteville, they take the top seven teams in the playoffs, no doubt Fayetteville State is out. But a win? Doesn't mean that Fayetteville State is guaranteed to be in, but it helps to elevate the profile of the Broncos. You beat the number two team in the region. Maybe if some of these other teams, I mean, I I would imagine, and Savannah State is eight right now. Savannah State season is over. I mean, I think if a, a win by Fayetteville State would allow for the Broncos to leapfrog Savannah State at least, Newberry sits at number seven. I'm not sure where the sack is, the the Southern Athletic Conference, uh, in terms of Newberry and some of those other teams. Uh, does Newberry even play this weekend? Uh, and, and matter of fact, I think I saw where Newberry's like eight and two or seven and three, which would indicate that the season is over if there's not a conference championship game. And I think they, I think Newberry plays at least one more game. What if Newberry loses? There's an opportunity for Fayetteville State to get into the playoffs with a victory over Bowie State. Again, they say third time's a charm, right? And I think Fayetteville State is going to win this football game in the CIAA championship game because even though Bowie State, we know the defense is really good, it's opportunistic, What Fayetteville State does is protect the football, and what Bowie State is trying to do is to turn you over. And I think that ultimately the Broncos this year, I mean, you look at the Broncos uh, in terms of, you know, certainly being able to run the football. I mean, they've got, you know, a running back by committee. I think, uh, you know, they'll be able to establish the run enough. Uh, Don Shell. Jetson, you know, has been pretty steady this year. But Kari Lane, I think, protects the football, the quarterback. He's had a really, really good season. And I think that Fayetteville State goes on this time around to win the SIAC championship, or excuse me, the CIAA championship. So we'll ultimately see uh, what happens right there. You've got some other key games, more specifically, Prairie View A&M, 
right? And Alcorn State, that game is going to be in Lorman, Mississippi. Big-time football game, everything on the line, really more so for Alcorn State. I mean, I guess for Prairie View A&M because a win by Prairie View A&M and Prairie View A&M wraps up the SWAC's Western Division under Eric Dooley. Real, listen, the Panthers have been competing and competing and competing, but it's hard to compete with you know Southern, the dominant conference the last couple of years, uh, the dominant team the last couple of years uh, up until this year in the Western Division. And of course, you look in 2020, in the, well, 21, spring of 21, it was Arkansas Palm Bluff that took the conference in the Western Division uh, by surprise, right? I think it's Prairie View A&M's time now. Uh, Alcorn State has got to win this game, needs some help, definitely needs some help. That's going to be a tough environment. Like, that's a hostile environment for, for the Panthers to go to, to play an Alcorn State team that I do believe is still vulnerable. I told you last week. Alcorn State may be vulnerable uh, uh, coming uh, playing against Bethune-Cookman, right? Coming off the loss uh, the week before, and ultimately what happens, Alcorn State falls. Maybe still a little bit vulnerable. Meanwhile, Prairie View A&M is playing as well as any team, maybe with the exception of Florida A&M right now in HBCU football. Uh, you know, you, you well, Norfolk State was. I mean, South Carolina State's playing pretty defense, but uh, pretty pretty good. Uh, but Prairie View A&M is playing as well as anyone. A pivotal, pivotal matchup in the SWAC's Western Division. So that's a look at Week 11 in HBCU football. Your thoughts on Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. We're going to transition into the professional ranks still to come. My National Football League predictions for Week 10 didn't do too well last week. But up next, we're going to talk some NBA with Mike Wallace, the senior editor of Grind City Media, after this small pause for the cause. You've got it locked to Box to Row. This is your weekly edition of the Box to Row Blitz. I'm Donald Ware. Got a lot of places to take you, so let's get to it. First, I'm going to take you to Daytona Beach, Florida, for the game between Alcorn State and Bethune-Cookman. Alcorn State already had the 24-21 lead about midway through the third quarter, was looking for more. On fourth down, here is Stafford Anderson, and he squeezes, gets the first down, and he gets a touchdown. 19 yards on the run, and Alcorn State extended its lead to 31 to 21, but late in the third quarter, the Wildcats would respond. Patrick, a one-on-one, and this ball is caught. Touchdown. Kamari Averett, his second touchdown. From 33 yards, and the Wildcats pulled to within 31 to 28. The Wildcats would have possession early in the fourth quarter, looking to take the lead. First down and goal from the three. They run it here. Touchdown. My man, Charles Edmond, on WPRL in Lorman, Mississippi, Ladarian Wilson from three yards out proved to be the game winner as the Wildcats got their first victory of the season, 35-31 to over Alcorn State. Now, let me take you to Raleigh, North Carolina for the Raleigh Classic between St. Augustine's and Shaw. St. Augustine's, the Falcons, already had a 14-10 lead. Shaw had possession of the football, and this is what happened next. The Falcons scoop, and they pick up another one, and it looks like he might score. 
It looks like he did score. It's Davis again. Davis, the game breaker, with a touchdown for the Falcons. Tell us about it, Levi Thompson, on the WAUG Network. Fumble recovery by Marcus Davis. Put the Falcons up 21 to 10. They would hold on to defeat the Shaw Bears 21 to 17. And for the Falcons, their first victory of the season. Now, let me take you to Fairfield, Alabama, for a critical matchup between Miles and Tuskegee, the SIAC's Western Division on the line. You're gonna hear the name Chris Brown on this highlight. And as a matter of fact, he got the party started early. Newell, the quarterback, ball fake, caught, looks, got time, fires upfield, middle of the field, got a man behind the coverage, over the shoulder catch, and that's Chris Brown once again. They answer, Golden Bears, touchdown. Bang, bang, that's how you start a football game. Tuskegee says, I'm going to go deep, and they do, and Miles is like, we'll do a little play action. It's downtown, Chris Brown, 75 yards. And Miles pulled to within seven to six. Now, I'm going to take you all the way to the fourth quarter with Miles leading 31 to 17, possession of the football and looking to put it away. Newell, to go that fade routes again. Brown there, runs right under it for the Golden Bear touchdown. Downtown Chris Brown is at it again, this time from 19 yards. That was Charles Ward and A.A. Moore on the Miles Golden Bear Sports Network. The Golden Bears would go on to romp Tuskegee 52 to 23, the Golden Bears looking to defend their SIAC championship two times over. Gonna play against Albany State this Saturday in Fairfield, Alabama. Now, it was rivalry Saturday, and now I'm gonna take you to another rivalry, Richmond, Virginia, for the game between Virginia Union and Virginia State. Virginia State already had the seven to three lead, possession of the football late in the third quarter. Waller fakes, throws left, caught by Marquez Phillips in the end zone, touchdown Virginia State. Trojans missed the extra point, but led 13-3. Virginia Union would come back early in the fourth quarter. Jada Byers' five-yard touchdown run tied the game at 13 apiece. Then, with 30 seconds remaining and Virginia Union having possession. Handoff, Byers, and he's into the end zone. Touchdown, Virginia Union. That's my man John Emmett on WBST in Petersburg, Virginia. The Virginia Union Panthers got the victory over Virginia State 20 to 13. From the press box to press row, the radio show airs weekly on radio stations across the country, as well as on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific, on Channel 84. To listen to the show or for more information, log on to BoxToRow.com. Of course, in the last segment, I'm just going to give you, I gave you my thoughts on the NBA. Let's get an expert now. Joining us on the line to talk some NBA, no stranger to the program, Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, follows obviously the, obviously the Memphis Grizzlies, HBCU sports, college sports, and so much more as he joins us here on Box to Row. What's going on, Mike? Hey, what's going on, Donald? Good to be back with you, man. Absolutely. A lot to get to, man. So I look as I look at the standings right now in the Eastern Conference, like I look and I, I must be dreaming 
because the Washington Wizards are at the top of the Eastern Conference. Like, I was watching the game uh, Wednesday, right, against Cleveland. I know Cleveland's doing rather well. I'm watching the game. It's down the stretch. I'm getting sleepy. I go to sleep. Uh, I wake up. The game is off. I, obviously, the Wizards lost because they were losing down the stretch. I wake up Thursday morning. They had won the game. Like the Wizards and some others are playing some good basketball. Speak to that. And, you know, there's a lot of teams that maybe we didn't expect to be playing good that are playing very well right now. I mean, when you look at the Eastern Conference standings and at the top you see, you know, the Washington Wizards, you see Chicago Bulls, you see the Miami Heat, you're thinking, hold up, is this 1996, 1998? You know what I'm saying? Is this, the, is this the, you know, during the early 2000s or whatever when, you know, when Chicago was, was doing their thing? But it, it seems like we're in a time warp, you know, but at the end of the day, these teams are really, really t- teams that got away from what their traditions were, got away from some of their legacies and they put themselves back together. Chicago was a long time coming, man. They've, they've gone through so many things, and I really think now this is their best team that they've had in quite a while because they're organized now. They have guys in the right position. They got some depth, at least in the starting five. Um, and you look at the Wizards, that's another team. You know, that's a deep team. People will, people often underestimated how much they got back in that trade for Russell Westbrook, sending him to the Lakers. But they got quality guys. Um, who can plug and play and who are all multiple and versatile. I mean, you got when you look at the Wizards, you're talking about five, six, seven guys that can get you 20 points on any given night, and, and that's a lot to have. And then when you add in, you know, uh, you know, the defensive tenacity that they can play with and, and the switching and all of the things that West Unsell Jr. Uh, is giving them, that's one of those things that's going to make them really, really well. So, you know, I, I like the Wizards. I think they're going to be good. And then Miami, obviously, is a team that's, you know, they, they're ready to make another statement in the East as well. So the East is kind of flipped upside down, and I'm looking forward to it because it's going to be intriguing all the way through. No question. You look at the Bucks, the defending champions. I mean, and, and, and by the way, we're a little more now, if you can believe this, than 10% uh, uh, through the season, which is, which is unbelievable. But I look at the Bucks. And they they struggled a little bit out of the gates. I mean, I you know it's still mm-hmm. early, right? But uh, your thoughts? These are the defending uh, champions uh, who are off to a, a, a not only a slow start, but don't look necessarily that great. I mean, there's a little bit of a championship hangover uh, with Milwaukee. No question about it. I mean, this is a team when you when you play as long as you played, and and, and remember, I, I think what you're seeing now from Milwaukee is the residual from not just the run that they made last season, but the run that they've kind of been on the last two or three seasons because the pandemic took a lot out of that team. I mean, this was an Eastern Conference contending team for three straight years now. And then they, they you know, they got uh, to a certain point in the bubble. They had to deal with that disappointment. Then they gone through the contract issues were both wondering if Giannis was going to sign long-term and then wondering if they were going to keep Budenhoser as coach. Um, a lot of things that they had to overcome last year emotionally. And then when you put what, what they went through on the court, getting all the way through and winning that championship, I'm going to give them a little bit more grace. You know what I mean? We're, we're about 10 to 12 games into the season for most teams. I'm going to give the Bucks about 25 games before I start worrying. You know what I mean? So I'll check back with the Bucks in about, you know, by the end of November going into early December to see where they are because I think a couple of injuries are hurting them right now. Um, they're getting used to some more depth. Um, they lost a couple players uh, that were in that rotation last year. Um, and, you know, and, and they're waiting on a couple more players to, to step up to the challenge that they have now. Um, so it's just going to be a matter of time. But I trust them. I know what they're capable of, and I think they'll be fine as long as Giannis and some of their front-line guys stay healthy. I mean, wow, you look at the East. I mean, you look at the Hornets who are playing some really good basketball just as we sit right now a game under 
500 in the 10th spot. I mean, the East is is unbelievable. Last team uh, in the East, the, the Knicks. Like, to me, I thought the Knicks may, and, and by the way, the Hawks not, not off to the good start either, but the Knicks, like, okay, you add Kimba, right? And I thought that was a significant add. Just if Kimba's healthy, I think he really elevates that team. To me, Mike, the Knicks last year were a better story than they were a team. However, something to me seems different about the Knicks. Like the Knicks can really compete uh, for uh, at least that top four seed. Your thoughts on the way the Knicks are playing so far? You know, it's it's the the, the Knicks are one of those teams where you, the expectations are there now, right? Like, see, last year you, you had a great point. Their story was better because they finally got out of that. Hey, we're 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 back in the playoffs now. It's been a long time since the Carmelo Anthony Knicks that they were you know relevant in terms of a uh, playoff relevant. And once you add that expectation now, it, it gets harder because then now you're talking about b- before last year, you, you, you were everyone's hero because you were competitive and, 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 and shocking everyone and, and turned out to be a, a solid playoff team that, you know, went into that playoffs and in, in, in the four or five matchup with the uh, upstart Atlanta Hawks. But now when you come back and you pay guys and you made guys right and, you know, you, you use your salary cap to, to solidify that rotation, um, you know, now it's like, okay, well, you're supposed to be at a certain point. Tom Thibodeau is a coach that, you know, he, he's not great for a long-term stay with you because he's more of a turnaround-type coach as opposed to a coach that sustains a lot because he, do, he does grind on you, and he does, you know, run guys into the ground when it comes to, you know, not really expanding the rotation the way he needs to. There's some guys that the Knicks could be using right now that they're not using. Some guys haven't really stepped up and made that third year. Like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about – you know, a, a lot of guys on that team now, now that you've given them the minutes and, and so, somewhat of the money, now it's time for them to deliver. But I still think they're one key marquee player away. Kimball Walker's not going to be a savior. He's just a nice complimentary piece. Um, but there's still one more piece away from saying, okay, this is a legitimate tight team. And maybe it's Ben Simmons if they can figure out a way to swing a trade for Ben Simmons. Or maybe it's Damian Lillard if, Portland Trail, if the Portland Trail Blazers don't really get right. Um, you know, it's one of those kind of guys that are pretty much in their prime that can help take them over the top. I'm wondering if the Knicks have enough pieces to make a move like that. We'll see. But they're going to be intriguing. I just don't know how much better they're going to be than they were last year. That is Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media. Check him out at grindcitymedia.com. Joins us here on Box to Row as we talk some NBA, the Lakers. So, listen, I had a chance to really sit back and watch Russell Westbrook last year, and he – you know, he's a guy that is going to get off to that slow start. It's going to be – I mean, you know what you're getting. It's going to be a lot of turnovers, high-energy guy, all right, triple-double uh, machine. But then, like he did last year with the Wizards, going to come around in the in the second half, I think. So, like, you look at LeBron, uh, He he's – the injury, I think, is a little bit more serious than people may have thought uh, at first. But they got a nice win, the Lakers did, the other night uh, on Wednesday. Just your thoughts on the Lakers, where the Lakers sit right now, and – Ultimately, do you believe this is the team that can win, at least come out of the West? You know, it's really hard to judge the Lakers in the middle of the season because, like, you know, it goes back to what I was saying about Milwaukee. You know, the Lakers are a team that, that they know that whatever happens in, in, in November, December, January, February is irrelevant to them because their test only comes once they get to the playoffs. And they're a championship or failure team. There are not many teams in the league that can say, if we don't win a championship, this season is a bust. But the Lakers are one of those few teams that can say that right now. So it's, it's really hard to really hold them accountable for some of the things that they're going through. You know, LeBron James is a guy that 
you know, I I I was with LeBron James for probably the the the, the peak four years of his career in terms of conditioning and and what he was able to do, uh, talking about Miami. But even before he got to Miami, this was a guy that didn't miss a lot of games. Now in these last three seasons, you're seeing the games missed pile up. You're seeing the DMPs pile up because he's treating his body uh, more as a, a, an investment right now. I think he is legitimately hurt, but I also think he's not going to rush himself to come back for anything because he knows he has to be ready and, and there come March, April, May, and June. So – it's going to be hard to evaluate the Lakers because we probably won't see them hold uh, through the first half of the season. And then once they get to the second half, then, like you said, to your point, Russell Westbrook tends to lock in. And all of those things he does tend to have a bigger impact. So, you know, hopefully they, that's a team that you want to stay healthy because you know what they're playing for. And I do think they can win it all, but I don't know if they can back their way into a championship. They're going to have to really take the league by storm for like a 20-game stretch and prove to everybody, look, this is what we're about. They have to get to that at some point in the regular season, but it probably won't be November or December or maybe even January. The team that you cover intimately, the Grizzlies, mm-hmm. off to a decent start, right? I mean, above 500 currently, as we said. They are. They are. And, you know, it's one of those teams, that, and I know, you know, the the Charlotte market is very important to you and North Carolina is your home base and those kind of things. And You know, the Hornets recently came through here. We talked about the Lakers you know, the Hornets lost the game to the Lakers, and then they came into, uh, into Memphis and knocked the Grizzlies off um, on Wednesday. So it's one of those deals where, you know, that team is intriguing too. And, but I'm, I'm bringing Charlotte up because they're the Eastern Conference version of what I'm seeing from these young Grizzlies. Both teams are really young, have dynamic point guards, have a lot of athleticism on the wing. They can wow you one night, and they make you wonder what they're all about the next night. You know, when you look over at Golden State, for a long time, you know, the Grizzlies are the only team that had put that L on Golden State, right? So they're big, good enough to beat the best teams in the league, um, but they're young enough to have these faltering moments where you're wondering, okay, can they put this together? So they've had some some uh, some interesting uh, games over these last couple of days, but at the end of the day, when you play 82, you can work your way back into whatever you're going to be from a consistency standpoint. So John Moran has proven that he's going to be one of the league, league's leading scorers this year. He's already proven that he's going to be an all-star um, in the in the way in the making, um, and then now we got to see. Okay, is the second and third best players on this team are they going to elevate themselves? Jaron Jackson Jr., you know guys like that. Dylan Brooks now is back from his injury that that kept him out the first month of the season. Can these guys contribute to take the Grizzlies to the next step? Last thought, Mike, and we appreciate the time. Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media. Even I mean the Golden State is like really really good. I mean I think I thought maybe four or five games into the season to me. That was the team to beat. You look at Andrew Wiggins, uh, maybe never lived up to the expectations. Right now he's playing well. You look at the 35 he dropped the other night. And we're talking about a team that doesn't have Klay Thompson. I think James Weissman's very much under – I think people are underrating what he's ultimately going to bring uh, to this franchise. Just your thoughts on uh, Golden State and then when how they sort of – bring clay back and then james weissman also once they're ready to roll that's the thing man i mean these teams the 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 warriors had two lottery picks this past year they got james wiseman in the waiting from the previous year clay thompson is still not back yet and look at what they're doing like this is amazing to me like this might be the most impressive start that i've seen the warriors have and that includes when they went 70 what 73 you know 73 games the other year when they broke the record the bulls old record yeah because you kind of expected them to be dominant then. They were at the peak of their games. Everybody was healthy. They knew their system. But this, this speaks to Clay. You know, this speaks to, to Steph Curry's 
just amazing ability to have guys galvanize around him and him lift an entire franchise. It speaks to Draymond Green's unselfishness and willingness to pass up shots that he probably could make in order to get other guys going because he knows that somebody has to set the tone for being a facilitator on that team. You know, it speaks to Steve Kerr being able to adapt and not force feed a system into a new group of guys who might not be set for that system yet. I'm just amazed by what Golden State is able to do. Everyone knows their roles. Everyone is sacrificing. Everyone is picking up the other guy. And you just feel good about that team because you know that they're not whole yet. And when they get whole, I think that team is going to be the team that restores its legacy in terms of where they need to be. So, you know, I'm all about the Grizzlies, no question about it. Uh, but, but when you look out in the West and you see stories and teams that are doing it the right way, Golden State, man, is at the top of the list when it comes to uh, what I'm seeing so far this early in the season. Grind City Media thinks outside of the box. NBA, Grizzlies, college football, HBCU, and it's run by Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media. Check him out or follow him on Twitter at MyMikeCheck as he joins us here to talk NBA on Box to Row. Always good to have you, Mike. We'll catch up with you next time. All right. Thanks a lot, Donald. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate you, Mike. My NFL predictions for Week 10 are up next. Hello, my name is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timlake Roll, founder of Marjorie's Beef Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving two million dollars away to the bottom amongst four hundred of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll. So come place an order at Marjorie's Beef Jerky. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitby, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh Market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Salt Box, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's. And in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. The Greater Raleigh Sports Alliance invites event planners, athletes, and fans to jump back into all the sports opportunities that Greater Raleigh, North Carolina has to offer. From BMX racing to baseball, soccer to swimming, world-class venues for championship play at every level are right here. Along with first-rate hotels and exciting off-field attractions and experiences. Learn more and plan your next play at RaleighSports.org. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. You know, last week I went five and eight in abysmal five and eight in week nine of my selections. And as a matter of fact, the last couple of weeks I've had losing records. Right, the first I don't know whatever we started this maybe week two. And I, and I was on top. I never had a losing record. As a matter of fact, one week I had like two losses, another week three losses. Back-to-back weeks, 
with losing records, including 5-8 and eight on last week. Let's see if Week 10 is going to be a little bit better for me. Let's look at the schedules as I give you my picks. We'll start with the Saints and the Titans. You know, last week I picked the Saints. Yes, I'm going to be there. I didn't know. I mean, I guess at this time that Simeon was going to be uh, the starter in this football game. And, I mean, I got to give the – I guess I got to give the Falcons a little bit more credit than I had been giving the Falcons so far this year and specifically uh, Matt Ryan. When I look at the Titans, I mean, the Titans are coming off an absolutely huge win on last week. And the Titans, I mean, this NFL season has been interesting to say the least. There is no clear-cut favorite right now. The Chiefs are down. When you think, the like, for instance, the Bengals may be on the rise, not that the Bengals would be the best football team in the league, but, like, when you think the Bengals would be on the rise, then all of a sudden the Bengals lose a couple of games in a row, and it's just been so crazy this football season. With the way that the Saints played, and I like the way that the Titans are playing. Yeah, I get it. You know, big injury, right? Like huge injury for the Titans. But the Titans overcame something last week. And I'm going to go with the Titans. This game's going to be played in Nashville. The Bills and the Jets. So the Bills, like, wow, the Bills sort of uh, laid an egg last week uh, against the Jaguars, right? I mean, I guess give the Jaguars credit, but the Bills didn't play well as at all. And that's why you can't pick a clear-cut team. I mean, one week when you think the Bills are the team to beat, the Bills drop one to the Jaguars, right? The Jets... I mean, after coming off that big win a couple of weeks ago, obviously didn't get it done. Matter of fact, sort of got blown out on last week. You know, this is a divisional game. I think that the Bills ultimately get things together and rebound. And I'm giving the Jets a lot of credit, like doing the best that they can with what they have. Salah's in his first season. I mean, he's, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be solid, although, he has a defensive background, and you give up 40 points. Obviously, that's not a good look. But I'm definitely going to go with the Bills in this game. That game is going to be played in New Jersey. The Lions and the Steelers, not much to really see here in this football game. Again, I mean, the Steelers are playing some decent football, right? I mean, I don't – you know a Mike Tomlin coach team is not going to look past – the Lions, even though the Lions are not, not only are, aren't they looking well, they're looking bad. I mean, they started out the season looking halfway decent, now not looking good at all. And I like the way the Steelers are playing. I like the way that they're running the football. And I like the way that Ben Roethlisberger is playing, and then that defense is pretty darn good. I like the Steelers over the Lions in Pittsburgh. The Jaguars and the Colts. Am I going to pick the Jaguars this week? I'm not. Uh, listen, I think it, it was an aberration. No no doubt in my mind. Like, it was an aberration. I mean, I realized Josh Allen for the Jaguars played a really good football game, um, was able to get to Josh Allen, the quarterback for the Bills. Uh, but the Colts are, are, are trying to stay in contention 
you know, the Jaguars just don't have enough offensively. Meanwhile, I think the Colts' defense is pretty good. Jonathan Taylor at running back is tremendous. Yeah, Carson Wentz may have had a setback, but I think ultimately Carson Wentz has played solid so far this season. And I like the Colts over the Jaguars in Indianapolis. So, matter of fact, I got got to see a lot of the games last week. Got to see a lot of the games last week. That's because the Washington football team didn't play. And I always, you know, I watch whatever, you know, I'll try to tune into some other games, watch the Washington football team. If if the team, you know, Washington football team plays at one, then I'll watch some of the games at four uh, while I'm doing some other things, et cetera. Uh, but listen, uh, going up against the Buccaneers, yeah, this is not going to be a repeat. I don't think this is going to be a repeat of what we saw in the playoffs on last year when the Washington football team played extremely well. Now, WFT is coming off of a bye week, trying to fix some things, trying to get healthy. The, the issue is there are so many things to fix that if you talk about the pass rush, which was a little bit better against the Broncos. Uh, but again, Taylor Heineke is solid. I think he's solid, but he makes too many he makes too many mistakes. And by the way, the Washington football team doesn't run the football enough for me. The defense is suspect and overall, and you're going up against Tom Brady with all of the weapons that Tom Brady has at his disposal, all of the wide receivers, the running game, and while the Buccaneers' defense hasn't been great, I mean, it, it, it doesn't – I don't think it has to do much against this Washington football team. And I'm going to go with the Buccaneers over the Washington football team in Washington. The Patriots and the Browns. This is a really interesting football game. Got the whole OBJ saga. The Browns have the whole OBJ saga behind them. Baker Mayfield played – pretty well in the victory by the Browns last week. So you have that. The defense is solid. You know, they're now, again, they the Browns do have COVID issues. And that may play a little bit into this. Listen, the Bronco, or the uh, Patriots, while the Patriots are 4-4, four and four, like, they seem like a better team than a 4-4 four and four team. Could have won the game against the Cowboys. Ultimately did not. But, with that being said, like, I, I, I'm, I'm becoming a Mac Jones believer. Like, I wasn't in the beginning, but he's doing – he's not making mistakes. That's the bottom line. And maybe dinks and dunks, short passes, an occasional long pass, but he's not making any mistakes. And by the way, the Patriots have a really, really good defense. So I'm going to go with the Patriots over the Browns in Foxborough, Massachusetts. The Cowboys and the Falcons. So this is interesting because, again, the Falcons are an intriguing team. Like, right, it's a team that loses to the Washington football team but then wins a game or a couple of games it's not supposed to win. Meanwhile, I look at the Cowboys, I'm like, they're coming off just a – I mean, that's just a bad loss to the Broncos. Like, the Broncos are not that good. I hadn't really had, really had a chance to see them play. Started the season out 3-0. and That's not a good football – like, the Broncos are not a good football team. And – the Cowboys allowed for the Broncos to go up 30 to nothing, uh, scored some garbage points at the end to lose that game 30 to 16. So with that said, like I really think Dak Prescott is really, really good. I think the Cowboys are going to be more focused. 
this week. Uh, while I'm intrigued by the Falcons, I definitely like the Cowboys in Dallas. The Cardinals and the Panthers, and the Cardinals are a good all-around football team. I think the Cardinals' defense is solid as well. The Panthers are not playing good football right now. The Panthers will not go, excuse me, into Arizona and defeat the Cardinals, so I like the Cardinals over the Panthers. The Chargers and the Vikings. So, again, the Vikings, you know, had that lead, can't hold on to it. It was a good football game last week against um, the Ravens. That was a good football game. The Vikings had opportunities, just let them, just could not capitalize on the opportunities. And for me, when the stage gets biggest, for me, Kirk Cousins is not the quarterback that you want. You do have the Dalvin Cook situation, you know, that's sort of lingering uh, a little bit as well. I mean, I don't know how much that factors into this game, uh, right? Maybe from his mental psyche. Uh, but the ch- the Chargers are solid. Like, they're not great, solid football team. But I definitely like the Chargers over the Vikings in L.A. The Packers and the Seahawks. So this is interesting. Russell Wilson is back. Um, you have the whole Aaron Rodgers situation which we talked about um you know I didn't think Jordan Love was that bad last week like I thought especially on that last drive he put some things together I mean, he's getting blitzed all night like you know you're you're I mean you you've got minimal experience and you're getting blitzed like that I mean, that's a tough situation to sort of be put into um Russell Wilson comes back but you know I think you know he probably needs to he probably needs a little bit of time having been off really, I guess, five weeks, four weeks in a bye. But I'm going to go with the Packers in Green Bay. The Broncos and the Eagles, a matchup of two bad football teams, quite frankly. Um, but, and, you know, the Eagles, yeah, the Eagles, man, they're, they're just not getting it done. At least the Broncos came away with the victory, got a couple of victories on the season, um, right? I mean, could have a chance at the AFC West, probably not. It's wide open. Uh, but I'll definitely like the Broncos over the Eagles in Denver. The Raiders and the Chiefs. So this is an interesting game. You look at Patrick Mahomes. What's going on there? What's going on with that offense? Um, the Raiders are, yeah, like I can't call the Raiders. Like Derek Carr is an elite quarterback. No. He's, you know, but, you know, he he he's good, right? Elite? No. Uh, and sometimes they need him to be better. Uh, than he is, and I think this is going to be one of those times. So I'm going to go with the Raiders over the Chiefs in Las Vegas. That's the Sunday night game, and then the Monday night game is the 49ers and the Rams. Rams coming off uh, a beatdown by the Titans. Um, The 49ers just not a good football team at all. Look at them offensively, just not getting it done. I think the Rams rebound in this football game ultimately, and – defeat the 49ers as the game is going to be played, not in San Francisco, but wherever, uh, what is it, Santa Clara, I believe, is where the 49ers play. My time is about up. I thank you for yours. Thank you to Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, for joining us on today's program. Listen, I'm going to be in Orangeburg, South Carolina tomorrow for the matchup between North Carolina A&T and South Carolina State calling that game. If you see me, Holler at me, especially for those listening to us in Orangeburg. 
on ESPN Orangeburg. And always remember to support those that support. Yo, Box Toro is produced by DW Communications.